boys and ghouls welcome to a very special interview episode of dads from the crypt i'm joined by a writer director editor by the name of jack shoulder welcome to the podcast hey happy to be here um thank you so much for coming on we'll get to your uh tell us the crypt episode in a moment but first we want to know uh your background what were your early influences how did you get into the film industry well actually uh my initially my my goal was to become a, a classical musician i played the trumpet and, and i was very serious about about uh music um study grew up in philadelphia studied with the principal trumpet of the philadelphia orchestra and my plan was to basically take over his his job uh at a certain point i realized that i was like very good but i there were people who were probably more likely to take, you know, there were people who were like put on this earth to do nothing but play the trumpet. Right. And I wasn't, I wasn't there. And uh, so I decided to, uh, to, to become a writer. And then at a certain point uh, I decided that writing wasn't, uh, I was on an acid trip and I, I came to the realization that words were, uh, uh, useless and so that kind of put the end uh to my uh, writing career and i had a girlfriend who was really into film and i started watching films and i thought hey be great to be a film director because i really like this film you know, i didn't think about that it's practically an impossible dream but um you know i kept at it and uh, somehow uh you remember what film that was in english so do you remember what film that was? Well, I mean, I saw a lot of films, but but I, I was greatly influenced by, um, I actually, uh, this was, I, I spent a year at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, but the summer before that, uh, I, I took a six-week intensive uh, French course in, in, in France and then traveled around France uh, because... You know, there were all these great writers that had lived in Paris, and so that was kind of like a little bit of a fantasy. And uh, I saw uh, Breathless, mm. uh, and it was like, wow, this is really great. Uh, and that kind of, you know, I was very influenced by the by the French New Wave filmmakers, Godard and Truffaut and all of those guys. Uh, so that was an early influence. Mm -hmm. And then how, did you go to film school after that? No, I went to film school. I uh, Somehow I learned how to make films without going to film school. Uh, uh, and uh, did the old-fashioned way. I just made them. Uh, you know, and I started out by not particularly knowing what I was doing. Uh, although I, I, I kind of had a knack for it. You know, the fact that I had a musical background was very helpful in 
becoming a filmmaker because film and music have a lot in common. They both occur in time. Right. They both tell a story, although, you know, music, the story is a lot more abstract, but they both appeal to your emotions, which is really the, the, the part, you know, that, that uh, most attracted me to, to music was, was, you know, the, the fact that you could just hear these sounds and you'd feel all these emotions. And, uh, and that was, uh, you know, what I got from when I watched a good film, like I think all of us who, who, who love film, you know, who love the visual arts, uh, you know, you, you remember how they make you feel. That's, you know, if they don't make you feel anything, they don't really do much for you. So that was what, what really attracted me. You know, plus, uh, you know, having studied English, you know, I, I, I basically read, you know, I read all of Shakespeare's plays. I read all the, the great, you know, 18th, 19th, and 20th century novels. I, you know, I all, all the great 18th, 19th, 20th century plays. And so I had a, you know, pretty good sense of story as well. So between the story and the music, that's kind of where, where film hmm. uh, fits. Um, I was a, always thought I was a little deficient on the visual side, but, you know, I, I had to work on that. No, I think your visuals are great. We'll get, we'll get to that. But um, well, I had to work. It was something I had to work on. Well, and you were an editor on movies like The Burning, which is a classic slasher film. Um, so I, I can see how, like, an idea of timing and rhythm and uh, tempo. Yeah. Editing. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, almost all of the good editors that I know have some kind of musical background. They either either played an instrument or or, or they were very musical. You know, because um, there's a certain rhythm to the editing that's just um, that's that's very musical, and if you if you feel it, you know, it's kind of like uh, you know jazz jazz musicians that they they, uh, they talk about you know this guy really swings, you know, he has a good sense of rhythm, he really swings, you know, and good editing really swings, you know, mm-hmm. and people don't people don't understand it. Uh, you know, you see a film and it's beautifully shot. You immediately, wow, that film is beautifully shot. That cinematographer is really great. But you, you rarely hear that about the editor. The, the pacing of, of, of the film draws you, pulls you along, you know, whether it's slower or, um, you know, and, 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 and you can change your performance. I mean, uh, uh, just, just by the use of time, uh, you know, if, if 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 uh, someone says how do I look and I say oh you look good that means one thing if somebody says how do you look and I say you look good <laughs> has a whole different meaning right you know and so uh, uh, you know I think as a filmmaker really I'm 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 I'm, I'm more of an editor than anything else. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm also a writer, uh, you know, and, and obviously I've, you know, I've learned something about directing actors, but, but really I think I have an editor's sensibility. It's interesting because I see a lot of editors turned um, directors and especially in the horror industry. Um, Cause again, I think it's all about, it's a lot like comedy where it's set up, set up, payoff. Um, yeah. A good joke has well, a good timing. Yeah. It's getting getting the timing right. Mm-hmm. Now you haven't mentioned that anything about an interest in um, horror or comics or anything, but you're you seem to have a very your uh, film career seems very grounded in that genre. Do you just happen to fall into that, or is that something you were passionate about before? 
there was never something. Well, um, I was never particularly interested in horror films. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, when I was a kid, uh, you know, they used to have like the creature features on on you know the Saturday night, uh, the late shows on Saturday night. They'd have like Zachary or people like like that. And yeah, you know, I watched all those old old films. You know, we used to, you know, kids used to watch them, and uh, uh, you know. They were funny. They didn't really scare us, you know. Um, I mean, the the first horror film that I remember. Well, actually, the first movie that scared me was uh, 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 The Wizard of Oz. Oh yeah. I mean, when the witch started melting, it kind of totally freaked me out. But I think I was like five years old or something. Um, but uh, the original Body Snatchers, Invasion of the oh, Body yeah. Snatchers, the Don Single version, really scared the shit out of me. And and actually. Repulsion by by uh, uh, Romanski. It's a frightening movie when the hands started coming through the walls. It just totally freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I, I I I enjoyed it, but it was never the genre that that most attracted me. Um, I was um, I was never like I never collected comic books, but um, you know, when I was a kid, the neighbor bar, all of the neighborhood barbershops, they all had a big stack of comic books. You know, uh, you know, the kids would come in and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd read all the comics, you know, I go in and, you know, in those days they had the, the corner drugstore and the, the drugstore would, would have a, you know, a bunch of comic books. And, you know, I would usually like, like, you know, read them until the druggist told me to stop reading them until I, unless I wanted to buy them. But so, yeah, I, 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 that certainly entered into my consciousness, but I was always more of a highbrow, you know, I was like, you know my you know junior and particularly senior high school years you know i I was into classical music you know i was into poetry and stuff stuff like that so now the comics that you read did you ever read any of the tales of the crypt or uh, vaults of horror probably 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 i mean uh you know had just the, the usual assortment i mean there were a lot of superman and batman and you know uh all of those you know whatever was popular in the in the 50s um i mean we can you know my well i mean we can we can talk about visual style when we get into the the crypt mm-hmm. um you know and, and 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 i also did uh um uh uh the uh actually the first x-men you know generation x i don't know whether whether you know about that one but uh you know that was actually i think it was the first the first uh uh of the uh the marvel comic things that i did as a fox movie of the week Mm. Uh, i'm not sure you can get it on on dvd but uh you know the there are versions you can, you know, that are playing on 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 YouTube, pirated okay. versions that are on YouTube. All right. So you're an editor on the Burning, and then your first movie is uh, Alone in the Dark for uh, right. New Line. Right. Uh, and I actually, I've I've heard about that movie. I've seen it around, but I never watched it till this weekend. I decided to uh, pop oh. it in, and it's a great hidden gem of a movie. It's really fun. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of like a snapshot of my head when I was like in my mid thirties. Mm-hmm. It's kind of uh, a, a kind of a stew of, of of kind of ideas and 
experiences. I mean, I there was a big blackout in, in New York, I think in 78, 77, 78, where literally all the lights went out, all the electricity in Manhattan went out for at least 24 hours. You know, it started to come back slowly. You know, where, where I lived, it, it, it took about two days to come back. But, you know, people started rioting and looting and all that. You know, it was just like, well, gee, the little... <coughs> The, the electricity goes off and, and society just completely reverts to a kind of a, you know, primitivism. And, and I thought that that was uh, pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, with, uh, um, there was a guy called R.D. Lang, who was a very progressive psychiatrist in Scotland, who, who basically said, and, and I'm, I'm grossly oversimplifying this, but, but basically that, uh, that, People who were crazy were actually people who had simply adjusted to a crazy world and that the world was really crazy. And so um, if you were in his hospital and you said, I'm there are little green men who were chasing me, he would say, oh, yeah, I see them. Yeah. Why don't you just tell them to to leave you alone for a little, you know, and, and so I always thought that was pretty funny. Uh, and so yeah, it has a lot to do with just what's what's normal. Yeah, I picked up and, on that psychological philosophy uh, while I was watching it and it reminded me there's actually a Batman comic book like a miniseries they did with the Joker where they kind of did the same thing where they said the Joker's the only sane one and the rest of us are crazy yeah uh, yeah well it's kind of social commentary but I I didn't really think of it that way but you know when I when I look back you know all of my best movies really are social commentary you know mm-hmm. Um, but so the cast on this is amazing with Jack Palin yeah. and Martin Landau and Don Pleasance. Yep. Um, and now it's pretty great. And I think it's really, to me, it's really funny, you know, because Halloween, the Halloween series is so big right now that the uh, Donald Pleasance plays another head psychiatrist, but this one is kind of the opposite of Dr. Loomis, where he's kind of embracing the, uh, the patient's, um, uh, uh, symptoms and situations instead of like trying to, we were he's trying to suppress Michael Myers in Halloween. Here he's saying, Oh, yeah, yeah, I see them too. So, was that intentional casting? Uh, well, um, when I wrote the movie, I didn't have the casting in, in, in mind, but then the, the uh, producer said, Um, I think we can get Donald Pleasance to play Dr. Bain. What do you think? And I said, Wow. Yeah, because I, you know, I, I, I thought he was one of the great actors, one of the great character actors in the world. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought he was just a spectacularly good actor. So the idea that I could actually direct this guy was like, you know, was like unbelievable. Yeah, I don't know how you direct Jack Palance because he's just so intimidating. <laughs> uh, lightly. Yeah. You direct him lightly. I mean, because he... Um, he would just come up with stuff that was just like, like that uh, that scene where he, uh, where Dwight Schultz is introduced to the the psychos, and as they're leaving, Palin suddenly yells, "Doctor Potter!" <laughs> and then this long, long, long pause, and he says, "Happy trails," and it's just so brilliant. It's just like. Uh, but I mean, I, you know, I've, I, I've had the opportunity to work with some really great actors, uh, you know, some of whom are famous and some of whom are not so famous, you know, 
uh, and they just astonish. I mean, well, they're, they're creative artists. They come up with stuff that you just, you know, uh, you can't teach. You can't, you know, you just let them loose. And they, and they do this stuff that just astonishes you. Well, yeah, no, it's you know, all like where there's a lot of great actors and you can tell they're all having fun with their roles. And Martin Landau yeah. is going crazy. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's yeah. Great, yeah. So, so this was like one of the first big new line movies. Um, this was the first. The first. Well, they, they had they had co produced a movie uh, a couple years earlier called. Um, but this was the first one that they actually did all on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, they they did uh, have a partner in terms of financing, but it was the first film that was really all, all the first. Mm-hmm. So how did you come into that? Did Bob Shea come find you or be friends? No, I, 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 I met Bob Shea when I moved to New York in 1969. You know, his company was about a year old and a, uh, a guy who had shot a couple movies for me while I was in college, uh, you know, and, and shot these movies like not knowing anything about anything. We just, I, I got equipment. I ordered equipment from, from uh, you know, from a rental house in New York and it showed up and we tried to figure out how it all worked. And somehow we, you know, made, made some movies. And he had a girlfriend who was working as a temp for New Line Cinema, which at that point was, you know, was just, there were four people working there and they were they had a, an office above a bar in, in, in lower Manhattan. And, uh, and I met Bob and he asked me if I knew anybody who could cut a trailer. And I said, me. And he said, okay. Uh, and so we locked ourselves in an editing room over the weekend and uh, left early Monday morning with a trailer and, and, and we became friends. So uh, I would go out with him, you know, two, three nights a week. Um, and I, anytime they needed a trailer or they wanted to cut a movie down or put titles on or anything, you know, I would do it. So I, you know, I had a, both a, a very strong personal relationship and a professional relationship with Bob. And uh, one one night, uh, you know, and they were just distributing. They did not produce films. They were just distributing, but it, it got harder and harder to to compete because a lot of the majors were, were forming these, um, you know, these sort of art subsidiaries uh, and they had a lot more money than New Line. New Line never had any money. And um, so uh, at a certain point, you know, Halloween had come out uh, Friday the 13th. I, I actually went to see Friday the 13th with, with Bob. You know, he said, "Hey, let's let's check this movie out. It's costs no money to make, and it's making a ton of money." And so we went and saw it, and he was like really impressed that you know that it it, it basically delivered, and you know it, it 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 was made on a very very low budget, and and so New Line thought, well, gee, you know, we really understand this market because they had kind of started out marketing to colleges just when interest in film was really starting to, 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 to really pop in, in, in colleges. I mean, when I graduated from, from college, uh, there, were, there were only like four real serious film programs in the country. You know, there was NYU and U- USC, UCLA, and then Bob Jones 
college in, in South Carolina that made religious, taught people how to make religious films. But I mean, there was no film studies. There was none of that stuff. And people suddenly started to, film really started to become a big deal, you know. Um, and so they said, gee, you know, if we can make a low budget horror film, we could really make a lot of money. And I came up with an idea that was basically alone in the dark. And I said, hey, what do you think about this? And they said, okay, we'll, we'll pay you X to, to write it. And if we can raise the money to, to make it, we'll, we'll, you can direct it and we'll pay you X to direct it. And, uh, you know, I, I had done uh, a couple of shorts, the, the last of which a lot of awards and it was got picked up by PBS as a special. And I mean, it's the complete polar opposite of everything else that I've done. It's about, it's an adaptation of a Catherine Mansfield short story about a, a young girl coming of age, sort of learning about life. Um, uh, and, uh, and so, so he knew that I could make a good movie, but also at that time, and, you know, maybe when you mentioned that a lot of editors became horror film directors, um, there were people who were doing these horror films because, you know, everybody was like trying to get into making these low budget horror films. And, and, and I know there are a lot of these, quote, cult classics that I think are absolutely garbage, you know, that are, that are done by these people that they had no idea how to make movies. I mean, they didn't know anything, you know, um, you know, and in addition to, to, you know, directing a couple of award-winning shorts well i i mean i had actually directed like four shorts four short films when, when i was in, in in college you know and they played at festivals and things but you know being an editor you you, you understand how how to how it's put together what all the little pieces are especially from cutting trailers for new line you know you basically you take a uh, you know a two-hour feature and you cut it into two and a half minutes you know it's basically it's like taking a grandfather clock apart and putting it together as a, as a wristwatch you know you learn a lot about how a, how a clock works uh, so um and a lot of these people they would go out and they would shoot these films and, and they'd get in the editing room and they couldn't cut from this shot to this shot because there was a piece that was missing you know and uh you know bob bob who always liked i mean you know he he he, he hired me to do that and he hired me to do you know three other movies. Um, but, um, you know, he always liked to keep me in my place. So, uh, so he said, well, we hired you because we knew you'd get all the pieces, you know, that as an editor, at least I'd know what all the pieces were. And, and, and actually I, that's part of what I'm good at is that I know what all the pieces are, you know, that, that I just need to, to put something together and make it work. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I have to ask this though: What's the story with uh, the punk band, uh, the Sick Fox? Oh, the Sick Fox. Well, I had I had a band that was written in there called Nicky Nothing and the Hives, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, you know the idea was you know like punk rock. It was just another like what's normal. You know these people are kind of and uh, and uh, you know we had a casting director and uh, you know and we were just going to like cast people to to make up this make up band. And they said, there's this band uh, that, that, that's been playing in downtown and wants to audition. They're called the Sick Fucks. And I said, wow, that's great. And then they showed me pictures of them. And I said, we got to hire these people. This is perfect, you know. So, mm -hmm. yeah.
they were great yeah it's just it's just something that adds a lot of flavor to that movie i really enjoyed that being, yeah especially how it plays yeah. in, it plays out in the end um, well and, and 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 i mean that was where the blackout happens mm-hmm. you know there's this sort of crazy scene uh you know and 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 the ending of of the movie is you know after after all this killing and everything pounces no oh, i guess i uh, i guess i was acting a little crazy there <laughs> You know, and okay, sorry. You know, <laughs> and then so, um, you have a killer in a hockey mask, and I know your movie came out only a few months after Hall uh, uh, Friday Three, where Jason gets his hockey mask. Is that a coincidence, or do you have an inkling that that was going to happen? Uh, so, you know, honestly, I, I, I'm not quite sure of the chronology whether whether they did the hockey mask first or we did. Some they, people say that we did. That they did first, or we did first. As, at least as far as release, your, yours came out a couple months after theirs. After, right? Okay. Well, the hockey mask was because we needed to um, to uh, protect the identity of that character mm-hmm. for reasons that I won't get. Right. Yeah, we won't get the spoilers. And and. And so the idea that they go to a supermarket and they loot it and they pick up stuff. And I just thought, well, a hockey mask is kind of cool. So because it was written with a hockey mask before that movie came out. So that was always my my intention. So I, I, you know, I can honestly say that I have stolen things uh, intentionally or mostly unintentionally, but, you know, sometimes uh, I, I would say it's uh, there are a few things, but but that 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 wasn't one of them. I actually got a, a very nice um, email from a guy lived in Australia, and he had he had directed some 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 movies in in the U.S. Uh, I, I think for one of the studios, or yeah, uh, you know, fairly decent movie. And he said, you know, I, I just that. Um, that I stole part of Alone in the Dark. Uh, that there's this thing in in my movie. And I, I I forget the name of the movie. You know, it's a moderately well known movie. Uh, and he said it was a real favorite of mine. And we had this problem with the script, and and we were trying to figure out how to solve it. You know, and he was talking to the studio, and and he said, well, you know, in, in Alone in the Dark, they have a similar problem. Here's how they solved it. And so the people in the studio said, well. Why don't you just use that? He said, well, I don't want to steal that. From, you know, they already did it. And they said, well, why not? You know, he did it. It worked. Let's use it. So, so he used it, but he always felt guilty about it. He said, Funny. so I, I said I'll, that, that, that I would consider it an homage rather than a theft. If you're going to steal, steal from the best. Yeah. Um, now, of course, one of the things that really came out to me, this being a new line, Bob Shea movie is that this uh, alone, in the dark takes place in Springwood. Right. Which of course is the um, setting for the Nightmare on Elm Street series. So, well, was that an homage? Was this supposed to be like a shared universe? Well, what happened was there was never a name for the town in which Elm Street was located. Mm-hmm. So, so they said to me, um, uh, "Let's come up with a, with a name," and. Um, and so when I did um, Alone in the Dark, they had this thing um, where they have these lawyers that, 
you pay these lawyers to go through the script to make sure that there's nothing that someone can sue you for that you've you you you've uh, stolen material and a lot of it is actually bullshit um because i actually uh heard a uh was in a seminar given by a copyright lawyer you know who said that half the stuff that's in those things is total bullshit like like they'll flag like like it'll say oh i went to harvard and say you can't use harvard harvard is uh you know and it's bullshit harvard isn't like a you know everybody uses it it's not copyrighted anybody can use it but um so so for the name of the town i thought uh um springfield because springfield it just seemed to me like almost every state had a springfield you know there were like 20 springfields Right. And they said, you can't use Springfield because, you know, somebody might say, well, I live in M Street in Springfield and sue you, which is probably stupid. So I said, well, let's call it Springwood. And then they said, OK, you can use that. The lawyer said it was OK. So so that was the town in Alone in the Dark. So when they. Uh, with Elm Street, they said, well, we need a name for the town. I said, well, call it Springwood. So that was, so that was a nice. an homage to me. Um, okay, so I want to talk about that movie briefly before we get to you, Tales of the Crypt. So I want to talk about Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street Two um, a little bit. So I read or I saw in the documentary that there was at one point um, a effort to recast Freddy Krueger, and they tried, and obviously it didn't work because no, over they did. Just... They well, um, they. They, uh, when I came onto the film, right, that, so Wes was supposed to direct it. Wes never liked the script. And Wes dropped out about six weeks before they were ready, going to start shooting. And, and they already, they were in pre-production. You know, they had producers and they were starting to hire people and so on and so forth. And they were, you know, New Line was definitely going to make a sequel because the first one made money and they thought that they could make, they were hoping they'd make 70 to 80% of what the first one made. I mean, we were making more, um, but, um, or, or at least in the initial release we did. Um, so, uh, so they, Bob asked me if I would do the film and, um, you know, I wasn't that to do it, but someone said, you know, the movie's going to make a lot of money and you'll, you'll be directing movies for the next 20 years, which is, what happened so fortunately i listened uh but i said well who's is robert england coming back to play freddie and they said well his agent's asking for more money and we don't want to give it you know they're trying to take advantage of us he wants more more money and you know we don't want them we're not going to pay this more money uh and so i said gee i think he was really good in the film i you know I, uh, because, you know, on Friday the 13th, Jason, it doesn't matter who Jason, you know, it's just some lunk who comes, pops up and kills somebody and goes away. You know, it doesn't matter who he is. But Freddy was a character. Right. He had a personality, he had a, you know, a look and all the rest of that stuff. Uh, and they said, well, you know, we're negotiating with his, with his agent, but, you know, we're not giving him more money. And, um, but, all the casting was done by me. Wes never got involved in, in, in the casting. Um, and um, we never brought anybody in for, to, for Freddie. 
There was never anybody who came in to audition for Freddie. There was never a discussion of another actor to play Freddie. So what I think was really going on, and, and I've never never actually discussed this with, with, with New Line, and I'm not sure that I will, but I, th- I think they were always planning to bring him back, and they were just trying to play hardball by saying, we're not going to hire him. We're going to get, you know, he's, he's replaceable uh, as a bargaining chip. And then finally, about two weeks before we were ready to shoot, they said, we made a deal with him. Mm. However, in the meantime, he took another job. So he's not available the first week of shooting. Mm. So that was, we, we managed to work the schedule around. So there's only one shot, which is the shot of him walking out of the shower, which, you know, if you're paying attention, you can tell it's not Robert because the okay. guy sort of. So there is, so there actually like. There actually is a shot of uh, not not Robert England, Freddie Krueger. That's the one shot. I I I guess it's actually never never occurred to me, but that's the one shot. Probably, unless there's some, you know, stuff where he had a stunt double or something. But that's yeah. that. And and and, uh, and uh, you know, people say, oh well, they got a stunt man. Well, we didn't get a stunt man. I mean, stunt men are are somewhat actors. You know, they actually do acting. You know. They're not like you know no, no, Lawrence they, Olivier, but but they're, they're they they are experienced actors. But they just got an extra, a, a guy who kind of vaguely looked like Robert, who was the same size and fit the fit the clothes, and they just said, "Okay, you're Freddie." <laughs> and that was it. And then he came on, and he's like he's like walking like this, like he's like Frankenstein or something, you know. Crazy. And I had to tell. I said, stop acting like a monster. You're not a monster, you know. And I had to just keep like, just walk like a man, you know. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Kim Myers was she your uh, Mel Streep uh, stand? Well, uh, I you know I I just watched this this podcast from some some guy. I don't know, maybe he's Australian or something. He was talking about, well, they cast Kim Myers because she looked like Meryl Streep. Well, no, we, we cast Kim Myers because she was the best actress who showed up for the role. She happened to have a resemblance to Meryl Streep, and everybody said, God, she seems like a young Meryl Streep. Uh, you know, and she was a good actress. She, she had a real, just a natural kind of oh, yeah. uh, very believable quality to her. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that, not taking, that, I'm not taking anything away from her performance. It's just every time I see her, watch the movie, I just think... Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, she definitely, she definitely has has that, or you know, had that look. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the only other thing I want to ask was just um, the yeah, the creature effects and this are really cool. There's just a lot of random creatures. There's like the first of all, there's the the scene with the bird that flies around and explodes. Oh, <laughs> Bonkers. Yeah, that was just not, like I mean, you know, how can you do a scene with a you know, a demonic parakeet, really, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't possibly make it scary. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe I, I wasn't the right guy, but I have too much of a sense of humor and a sense of irony. Oh, uh, yeah. But uh, um, when I came onto the film, you know, I was living, still living in, 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 in New York. And so I flew out to LA um, and, um, you know, I'm just like thrust into, thrust into the ring here, you know, and just kind of overwhelmed and the the the, the two producers on on the film hand me, among other things, a list of like seven pages of 
single space special effects, none of which I, I knew how to do, which like totally freaked me out. I said, how the hell am I going to do this? I have no idea how to do this. Uh, and they said, well, we, we got this great special effects guy. He was, he was uh, the head of special effects at 20th Century Fox for, for, for 20 years. Hmm. Uh, and, and he knows, he knows everything. And he was like an old, an older guy. I mean, he's, he's younger than I am now, but I mean, you know, at, at, at that point he was like an old guy and, uh, you know, he, he did everything the old fashioned way. I mean, he, 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 he was the, the special effects guy for, I dream of genie TV series. <laughs> and, and, and he bragged that, that he, they never did a visual, uh, you know, like a, 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 a visual special effect that every single special effect was a practical special effect, you know, like spools and spools of like uh, fishing wire, you know, neo fishing filament, you know, that you pull stuff with. And he had, had all this, all these old time kind of like stuff you'd almost buy in a magic store. Like, like those scenes when everything's like heating up and the kid grabs the, the, the fence and, and it starts burning his hand. Well, they have this stuff called AB smoke. So you take the A and you put it on the on the on the fence, and they put the B on the hand. And when they touch together, this phony smoke comes out. You know, and they had it was all that kind of rinky tinky kind of stuff. It was well, like, very low, very, yeah, very, very low tech. Well, yeah, it's a very like, it's a very tangible feel, which I really appreciate in that movie. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it was all it was all practical. I I actually said to Dick. I said, so, I mean, when I first met him, you know, and he was, he was already hired. It wasn't, you know, usually I get to hire those kind of people, but he was already hired. And I said, so of all the stuff that, you know, and he, he, he was like the head of special effects at 20th century Fox for 20 years. I said, so of all the films that you've worked on, what, 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 what would you say you're the most proud of? And he thought a minute, he said, I think the work I did with the three stooges, <laughs> so that was, um, all right, then moving on to our uh, reason for the episode, uh, the biggest reason for this uh, interview for Tales from the Crypt. So how did you get on board with that? Well, um, so I, I heard about the series. I knew about the series. And uh, the first year, you know, it was very prestigious. You know, they had, you know, like all the people who, who, who worked on it were, you know, major directors, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Dick Donner and, and uh, Walter Hill and um, you know it, it, uh, Joel Silver was 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 uh, producing and I think Zemeckis was involved I think uh, you know and 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 they had all these heavy hitters and and uh, uh, you know it was a really fun show and it 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 kind of fit into my sensibility um, you know because it, it 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 kind of had this sort of wacky humor. And, uh, and, and you can kind of do anything. And, uh, you know, normally uh, a one hour TV show, uh, would get seven days to shoot. If it was a really classy show, it would get maybe eight days to shoot. Well, they gave you like, I think had seven or eight days to shoot a half an hour show, which was a lot, you know, it was HBO and HBO was trying to distinguish what they did. It was, you know, just above and beyond what you see on, on network TV. Um, uh, and um, so, you know, there was they're very generous budgets and it was very 
sort of director centric. You know, it uh, it wasn't like series where there's a, a a particular formula or a particular style that's created by the writers, and that every director who who comes on basically has to stick with that template. Um, in, in fact, you know, I, I I have done regular some some regular episodics. I didn't do very well because I always wanted to sort of reinvent the show, and that's not what they wanted. They just wanted, you know, a good version of what they were doing, which you know, which which I understand. You know, um, if you're a certain show, you don't suddenly want it to look like a whole different show one week. You want it some kind of continuity. But with with an anthology series, you know, er, everyone can be a little bit different. So I, I I lobbied for the, you know, I said to my editor, to my agent, I said, can you get me on? So um, so they they pulled some strings and 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 I got on. And um, and what I was told was that the script needed work. That there were these two young guys, I think, who had recently like recent the UN or something who Joel Silver had been grooming and they had written the script for it and uh, that, that they were going to hire another writer rewrite of it which which meant that they really felt that whoever had written the script had basically gotten it as far as they, they were going to get it or that it needed to, to go further than the original writers could, could get it so they they told me that they'd hired uh, Mancini, Don, Don Mancini, yeah. um, you know, who, who had just written Chucky. And he was, he was a pretty young guy. I mean, he was like in his early, early 20s. You know, I was like in my mid-30s at that point. Uh, and, um, and I had this idea because it takes place in a funeral parlor. And, you know, I had grown up in, in, in the Philadelphia and uh, – um, and the high school that I went to, it was about like about forty percent Jewish and about fifty percent African American, and maybe maybe ten percent Italian. And so, and we were, you know, very very close to an African American uh, neighborhood. And 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 I was aware that funeral directors were, you know, some of the leaders of the community in 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 these black communities. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun? You know, so I thought, what if it was a a, a, a black uh, a black funeral parlor instead of a white one? Uh, and, and, and so I kind of tossed the idea out to the producers, and they said, "Yeah, sure, uh, go for it." You know, and Don Don wrote a really good script, and we 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 worked on it a little bit. We we actually made a field trip to a a black funeral parlor in South Central LA. It was pretty pretty. <laughs> gross uh i mean the smell of formaldehyde would practically like knock you dead and uh you know we saw like you know they they basically they take all the blood out of the body and then they pump this formaldehyde or whatever shit they stick in you know and it's pretty pretty basic uh and you know kind of kind of creepy uh, so i mean we worked that in and uh, uh and um, and it was an all black cast, and it was it was the most fun I've ever had on a, on a movie because um, they're kind of a you know a, a, a smaller community within the larger Hollywood community, and and most of these actors knew one another, and uh, you know it was a pretty pretty funny script, and 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 you know they they 
they they really got it and um i don't know it was just it was just just really funny i i, I mean such a small coffin for such a tall boy right. I mean, just, just lines lines like that they would just crack me they just cracked me up yeah moses gun was and, great in this as the yeah director yeah well moses i mean Mo- um yeah i mean he was they uh, uh you know usually with a role like 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 that it's not like you you bring in six guys like like that so they say moses gone and maybe you have a, a meeting just just to make sure that 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 you all get along um and uh and he was he was he was great. I mean, he was he was um, a little eccentric. I mean, sometimes you go, you know, and 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 he would do that. And a couple people at, uh, actually, the the script supervisor would would the first day she would snicker, and I actually I fired her because I thought it was disrespectful to him for her to be snickering at him like 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 he was dumb or something. It was just like mm. part of what he did, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, uh, it was, it was just, uh, a lot of fun. And, uh, actually most of the tales from the crypt that year, we, this was the second season, I, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, I'd say half, half the shows went, went over and it was, and it was HBO, like, you know, on, on a regular TV series, you know, you, you, you know, if you have seven days, that's it. They don't give you eight days. You know, you're you're done. Maybe they'll 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 send a second unit out to pick up a few shots, but but you're you're done. But here, because it was it was HBO and, and it was you know all, all this sort of uh, Hollywood royalty, um, you know, if you needed an extra day, you'd get it. I got mine done in 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 the seven days. But yeah, I mean, everybody just sort of clicked. You know, um, I had the. Uh, they had two different production designers and the production designer that I had really sort of got what I was doing and, you know, did, did a great job. I hired a cameraman that I thought was, was really good. He, you know, he wasn't like a lot of times it's the same cameraman that shoots all the shows, but in this one, you know, I hired my own guy who I thought was, uh, you know, very talented guy. Yeah. The, uh, the shot selections are really good in this, the very dynamic and lots of cool angles. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, that was, uh, you know, talking about visual style. So I, I always felt that I was kind of less of a visual director. Uh, you know, there, there are people like, you know, Ridley Scott is a very visual director, you know, like his images are all just, you know, beautiful. And uh, obviously a lot of thought goes into it. Obviously he has a real gift for coming up with these sort of iconic images, but I, you know, I always felt that I had to like work at it. So, so my, I mean, first of all, I studied the comic book, you know, and and, and um, at that point, I had developed a style that was somewhat like a comic book because I, um, I, I was always trying to like figure out, well, what's my visual style? What's my visual signature? You know, and there are there are some directors who have a very strong visual signature, and there are other directors where you know the film looks different depending on on what the topic is, and I decided that I really liked um deep focus like Orson Welles so like touch of evil that was sort of my 
the film that I was trying to, 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 to emulate. So the, the third film that I did, which, which we didn't mention, is a film called The Hidden. And, and with The Hidden, I used you know, very wide lenses for almost everything. Um, I mean, what would normally be, be a telephoto lens was sort of like a medium lens, and most of it was shot with, with a real wide lens. And, and, and if you look at comic books, comic books are drawn as if there's a wide-angle lens. You know, the things that are close get really big, and, as, you know, and they, get, they fall away more, more rapidly. But you get these very dynamic kind of compositions when you have a wide angle lens because they're um, they're very three dimensional. Whereas like Walter Hill tends to use very long lenses that compress and flatten everything out. Whereas the wide angle lenses really give you this sense of depth. And, 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 and when people, if, if you're using a telephoto lens, when people move closer or away from the camera, they don't change in size. Whereas with a wide angle lens, they get a lot bigger a lot faster. So, so that was all already, you know, part of what I had developed as, as, as a style, you know, which is, you know, uh, again, if you look at Touch of Evil or, you know, Citizen Kane, you know, to a lesser extent, you know, Wells was, was really into that. And, and, and of course, the idea of deep focus where you have, because the wide angle lens gives you a, a lot of depth of field, meaning that, that there's much more that's in focus. Whereas with a telephoto lens, just like maybe the plane of the face is sharply in focus and everything else gets a little softer. Whereas with a wide angle lens, the face, the person in the foreground is, is in focus and the person standing behind him is, is in focus. And maybe the person standing behind him is in focus. So uh, it, it gives you some interesting um, possibilities for composition. Um, and then the other thing was that, that in order to try to, make things more interesting uh since like i said i not net uh, not by nature visual as as much as i am sort of musical or story or you know uh, uh, kinetically um, um involved um I, I i just tried to avoid the middle mm. so i tried to avoid any shots where the camera is just straight on it's like one of the things is, you know, if if uh, you want to do a low angle shot, you lower the camera a little bit. It doesn't it doesn't register. You got to like lower it a lot before it really starts to feel like a low angle shot. The same thing with a high angle shot. Um, then you have to push everything a lot farther than you think. So I just always tried to stay out of the middle. But also with the comic book, like I said, they're they're drawn as if they're shot with a wide angle lens you know pow you know and the fist is really big in the foreground and the person's smaller you know as 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 you move away from the fist and you know all of that and and uh, dutched angles and, and and all of that kind of stuff so so that was a visual style that i really liked you know and i i loved it from from the comic book and and, and i was told actually afterwards that, that 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 william gaines said that uh it most resembled his his comic books that he really liked the look of it, you know, wow, really that's, captured that. So that's that a big was, compliment. That was a big compliment. Yeah. Um, I also thought this was probably one of the most viscerally gory episodes, at least the ones I've seen up to this point, like the, on my rewatch. That's one thing, you know, yeah. arm chopped off. We're used to that. It's kind of hokey, but seeing someone having the blood yeah. drain was like, Ooh, 
Right. Well, I mean, that was inspired by our by our field trip. Uh, you know, I uh, you know, I said we we need to go and look at a funeral at a real you know African American funeral parlor and just just see what what goes on there. You know, and the, you know those big needles. I I mean they're they're kind of like tubes almost. Uh, you know, because well you're you're putting people that are dead. So it's not like you have to worry you're going to scare them or hurt them or anything. You know, it's just like you know I just need to to drain all blood out of here as fast as I can and get this other stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, as a, as a matter of fact, you know, and 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 again, I mean, the cameraman, we we uh, we tried to make it as, as icky as as possible. Um, you know, the the sets and 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 his lighting and the fluorescent lighting and and and, and all of that was 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 very effective. And um, um, you know, I just wanted it to be like filthy. <laughs> So like the blood that's like draining off the table and going into this filthy gutter that's just you know going into the sewer. Yeah. And, and as as a matter of fact, we were watching dailies during lunch. We were shooting in this. Uh, I mean, I don't know whether you uh, someone's already brought this up, on, but it was like a spaghetti factory that, that an abandoned spaghetti factory that they had to uh, into a stage for. Uh, for this, and uh, in in, um, in 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 Western uh, Los Angeles, and, and we were sitting there eating lunch, watching the dailies from all that stuff from from the embalming scenes, and and we we're sitting there just kind of laughing at it because it was so you know uh, gory and, and and you know in in a funny way, and and my wife came to visit. And she came in and we're, she's looking at this, you know, this blood is draining out of this guy and we're eating sandwiches and laughing. And I think she had second thoughts about who she had married at that point. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I tell you, it's very visceral. I think it's much more real than a lot of uh, the other effects, but the other really cool effect I thought was the shoe effects to, at the end. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. On the stairs and jumping on them. And, and ironically, who did all that was Dick Albane again. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and and uh, I mean he had a team of of, of uh, younger guys, but but uh, you know the shoes were like on these puppet sticks, mm -hmm. you know, and they were sort of you had to shoot it in a way so you couldn't see the sticks, and then and then he flew the actor, you know, when he walks in without it, you know, he was he was suspended from a harness, you know. Yeah, that looks really cool. Um, and then did you have any input on the Crypt Keeper segments or were those done separately? None. None whatsoever. Uh, and, and, and of course, also Kevin Yeager, who I had hired to do Elm Street 2, which was like probably, I, I guess that was his, his big break, mm -hmm. uh, was, was, you know, obviously doing uh, the Crypt Keeper stuff. And, uh, you know, he, he was in, in charge of the special effects makeup. I mean, I don't know whether he was the guy who was actually doing it all, but you know, he was, he was the head of all the special effects, but no, we, we had nothing to do with the wraparounds at all. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, I really also love the actor, John Clare, who played Bobby. He was really yeah. good. And, you know, he doesn't have much of a resume after that. I'm all no, he just he didn't he, want to do much. He just showed up and he was just, you know, he, he was one of those, he was kind of a natural who was right for the part, you know, 
Uh, I mean, we needed somebody who who looked like he could be a basketball player, and uh, you know, he he kind of had that 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 persona. Yeah, Bess had a lot of innocence in him, and a lot of um... yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a very very sweet kid. Yeah. I mean, like I said, everybody. It was a very a very sweet set. You know, there was um, you know. Aside from the script supervisor who I had to fire, um, everybody else was was really, you know, positive and everybody really, you know, it would it seemed to me like like it was a really good set and people were having a good time. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> yeah. Well, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say another another interesting thing about that was um so you know while you're shooting, the editor's cutting the film. And, and and I didn't actually have any input into the editor because they they uh, they did have a post production setup. So you know I didn't get to hire the editor the way I got to hire the, the camera. But you know um, I worked with the editor to supervise the cut, which is normally well that's always what I do. Um, on on a lot of episodic, the directors have very little to do with the editing. They you know, they're not around while it's being edited because basically they don't have any power. Mm-hmm. And um, and then what they do is, you know, per the DGA, Directors Guild, uh, they they have to send the director a copy of the cut and the, the, the director can then make his comments and <laughs> they can take <laughs> them and throw them in the garbage, you know. Right. Uh, uh, but... Uh, also, according to the DGA, the, the director has the right to to go into the editing room and work with the editor, at least for for the first cut, um, which I always exercised when I did episodic, which made them really despise me, you know, because nobody nobody did that. Uh, but in in this case, you know, I I, I I I supervised the cut, and and you know, with my features, my first the first cut, I mean the. The, the editor cuts the film and does, you know, people call it a rough cut. It's, uh, and my editor friends object to that because they, they're not cutting it roughly. They're cutting it as well as they can possibly cut the scenes, but they're cutting them according to the script. Mm-hmm. So they don't cut any dialogue out. You know, they try to understand what the scene is about, hopefully from with some clues from the director. Uh, and they cut them together, and then you paste all the scenes together in a feature film. And then you look at it, it never works. Sometimes it, it doesn't work very well, and sometimes it's like a total disaster. You want to just kill yourself. And then you work on it, and you get it, you know, to work. And you make changes, and you move scenes around, and you, you know, refocus characters, and there's an awful lot of stuff that you can do, which I'm very, very good at. Because, you know, I'm... I'm I, I would have to say I'm 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 a master at that because that's that's what I really really know how to do, and I I supervise the cut and then I show it and you know people always have to have comments, you know like they're not doing their job you know if they look at it and say oh that's great okay done you know they're going to get fired they're not doing yeah. their job you know they have no purpose but. In, in this instance, I, I did my cut and I showed it to the producers and they said, okay, great. And I said, that's it? They said, yeah. And, and I was so freaked out that I went back and I actually 
made a few changes, uh, which I kind of regret in a way. I mean, I mean, they didn't really like damage the film or anything, but but uh, um, I was just so taken aback. It was the only time I've ever presented a cut, and and they just said, "Okay, that's great." And then. And then, of course, we had uh, uh, Stanley Clark compose the music, who, who did a really great job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of got in that that like uh, you know black church kind of music that you know, with a mixture of kind of that and kind of like a, a New Orleans funeral band kind of thing. And 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 I actually played trumpet in the in the soundtrack, oh, cool. which was a lot of fun. So. Great. So yeah, it, it was just it was just fun all, all the way around. I was well treated, and you know, it was just just a great experience. Okay, well, I know we're probably running low on time, so I just want to start winding down a little bit. But um, I'm looking at your IMDb, and I see you haven't directed anything. Uh, it looks like since 2004. So what do you do with yourself these days? Yeah, so um, in in 2005, I had an opportunity to start a film production program from scratch at a university. It's part of the University of North Carolina system, the westernmost college, which is near Asheville, where I'm currently living. And um, and uh, I I had never taken a film course in my life or taught a film course. And uh, you know, I went out and I I I think they hired me. Because um, because I had a resume, you know, mm. that I had something that, that they could sell. I've, I've been on search committees, you know, since then. Uh, and there are these kind of page or two page long, these very sort of formal kind of uh, letters where there's this kind of academic speak and, it, uh, you know, and talk about why, you know, you should get the job of, you know, getting hired to teach at this place. And, I look back on, on, on the letter that I sent. It was like the worst letter I've ever seen. It, you know, it said like, well, I've never done this, but I think I know how to do it, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, and uh, the chancellor and I kind of hit it off. And I said, you know, I've, I've never taught a film course in my life. And, you know, I don't know anything about like the pedagogy, like, you know, for this and then you learn this and then you. And, and he said, no, you're a smart guy. You'll, you'll figure it out. So it took me about five years to figure it out. And then it took me about another five years to get reasonably good at it. So, uh, and I did it for 14 years. Um, and, and, you know, at, at the end, I, I, uh, I think I, I'm probably one of the better teachers for directing uh, that, that I'm aware of, you know, because there are a lot of people who, who know how to direct or know how to do various stuff, but they don't particularly, they're not particularly good at teaching. And it, it, it really takes a while because, um, you know, I would think, why do, why do they keep making the same mistake? Why do they keep doing that? And, you know, and they said, well, maybe you have to tell them not to do it that way, do it this way. Mm-hmm. They would still not do it right. And then you said, well, maybe I have to figure out a better way so that they'll actually realize why it's important to do it that way. And, you know, that's so, so I now actually have a kind of a second, a second profession here where, you know, I, I do go around to colleges and stuff and teach stuff, but I'm, I, I actually have, have a new movie that I'm trying to get off the ground. Um, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm hoping that we'll, we'll shoot it this spring, which is a vampire of all things. 
Um, and actually one of the uh, script that I developed with the guy who took over my job at the university, who's a really gifted screenwriter. And uh, it's uh, really one of the better scripts that I've, one of the best scripts that I've, I've, I've had to, to work with. So I'm very excited about that. And it'll be really cool to get back behind the camera. I had been kind of thinking a lot about whether the fact that I really didn't know, know the rules. I mean, I kind of knew how to make a movie, obviously, but I didn't really like have the rules sort of codified. But in order to teach it, I had to kind of figure out why I did what I did or why one does what one does as a director. And uh, what's the reason? Why do you shoot an over the shoulder as opposed to a clean single, for instance? You know, stuff, stuff like that. Like that, why do you shoot a, a reverse angle that's an exact match? Things, all of these these things, and I was wondering whether it would make me better or worse as a director because you know now that I kind of knew the rules. Uh, but but you know I've I've been working on prepping this film, and and, and actually I think it's made me a better director. Hmm. That I just find that I'm, it's just everything's right at my fingertips, and, and I'm able to just sort of like, here's the normal way. Let's. You know, like I said, avoid the middle. Keep going. Keep going. So, so I find I've, I've got a lot of creative uses for it. I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, very excited about the prospect of doing another movie. Can you share, like, do you have a title or any details you can give other than Vampire? Uh, it's called Night Rose. Night, Night Rose. Rose. And okay. it's, 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 it's a very, very loosely based on a a famous book called Carmela, which was written like 10 years before Dracula and about a, a young girl vampire who travels around Europe in a coach with her mother and they find a, a house, uh, you know, a castle or a manor where there's a, you know, a wealthy family or a powerful family and they have a, a young daughter who's about her age and they get taken in and of course shit happens. Uh, and but this has almost nothing to do with that. But it, originally, that was that was sort of where we started out. It's 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 contemporary, and uh, but it 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 does deal with a young female vampire. Hmm. That sounds really um, interesting. It, I'm, it's it, it's a that. really good script. It's a really really good script. Um, you know, it, and 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 again, it has a lot of a lot of social social criticism. She's. She's she's taken into a foster family that's run by a very strict female fundamentalist minister, and mm-hmm. so there's a lot of a lot of tension. And it you know it 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 all has to do with um, uh, transformation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like because you have this girl who who really doesn't know that she's a vampire, and she has to transform into that she has to, and, and of course you know vampire does transform what their self i guess their self you know from the human into the vampire and and we sort of created our, our own set of rules that are a little bit different i mean you know if we were inspired by anything probably let the right one in in a, in a lot of ways yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite vampire movies, and I was starting to think about that as you were describing your movie. So yeah. that could yeah, be something that was that definitely a big inspiration. Um, the kind, of, it's also more of a slow burn. It's a slow build. It just builds and builds and builds until you know you just can't stand it anymore. Hopefully, so yeah. So um, I, I'm I'm very excited about that. 
Okay. Well, I hope that works out for you. That sounds like a really promising project. Let's do our kind of quick, um, quick hit roundup. Um, what is your first concert and your, the best concert you've been to? Uh, okay. First concert. Well, I've been to an awful lot of concerts. Probably the, the one that I remember was, uh, had, very good friend of mine whose, whose father was a pianist and, and taught piano at this very good music school in Philadelphia called the settlement music school. And he, 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 he took me to uh, a concert of the Philadelphia orchestra and they had this new first trumpet player, this new principal trumpet player who was this very handsome young guy. And I heard him play. So it was like the most beautiful sound I'd ever heard coming out of a trumpet and uh, a year later I got to study with it which was amazing um, and then probably the greatest concert that I've ever been to was, I, I had recently moved to Los Angeles but I, I kept my apartment in New York and, and there was this girl that I had been seeing in, in New York and, and I, I, I was in New York and she said I have tickets, two tickets to hear Leonard Bernstein conduct the Vienna Philharmonic in Mahler's Fifth Symphony. So now you have to understand that Mahler was Viennese and he was the conductor of the uh, Vienna Philharmonic. Uh, and then uh, one of his protégés was Bruno Walter. Bruno Walter was, was one of the great conductors of the 20th century, who was the mentor of Leonard Bernstein. And Leonard Bernstein basically revived, was responsible really for reviving Mahler. And so Leonard Bernstein conducting Mahler with the Vienna Philharmonic was about, you know, from a, from a historical point of view, was very special, but it was also just inspired Mm -hmm. wow um now in the very first episode of tales of the crypt uh starring william sadler he goes into a cafe at one point he orders black coffee and a cheese sandwich so we like to ask what is your preferred cheese on a burger or in a grilled cheese sandwich what would you order uh, gruyere Ooh. okay that's a new one and and sometimes pepper jack can also yeah. be good a lot of people, a lot of people say pepper jack. I haven't heard Gruyere yet. That's a good one. All right. I like it's got a little funk to it, you know. Yeah. Unlike like American Swiss, just doesn't have much flavor, mm -hmm. but Gruyere has a little funk. There you go. All right, and then to wrap things up, our big question we always ask is, what dad advice or mentor advice would you like to leave our listeners with? Uh, well, if if you Want to become a filmmaker? Don't give up. Um, if you just keep at it, if you have a modicum of talent, you don't particularly have to have a huge amount of talent. If you just keep at it, you will succeed at some level. You just, it's, uh, it, it can be discouraging. It's like this is giant stone door that's made out of like a piece of marble that's you know a foot thick every day you push on that door and it just doesn't budge and so you 
inclined to give up. And then one day it cracks open a quarter of an inch. And you just go back and you keep pushing and eventually the door will open. What's on the other side? I mean, who knows? But eventually the door will open. And so, um, you know, I, that, that's what I did. And I know, you know, I came up with a lot of people and I see who made it on, on some level and who didn't. And, uh, and the ones who just kept pushing on that door were the ones that eventually got something close to what they wanted. Hmm. That's, that's, that's my advice. Okay. Well, that wraps things up. Jack, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, you uh, did a really good interview. So, um, you know, you, you really did your homework and, and uh, you had a lot of good questions. And, you know, if you, if you interviewer, if, if you're a good interview, you can get a good interview. So, so thanks for getting that out of me. All right. Is there anywhere it's anyone can. Pleasure. Yeah. Is there a place where people can follow you on any social medias if they want to keep. Yes. Facebook. I have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. I have a personal page, but unfortunately they have a, like a 5,000 person limit. And so I'm close to that, but I also have a, like a Jack shoulder, like a fan page. Mm-hmm. So, um, on Facebook. And I also have a Twitter. I just started a Twitter account okay. just to try to promote the, the night roads. So if you go on Twitter and you look up night roads, you'll find some very actually, actually you might find it very interesting uh, yourself. We're actually, uh, one attempt to fund the movie is through the sale of NFTs. And if you don't know what, what they are, I didn't know what they were either three months ago, but we're trying to be the first film to get funded through NFTs. So uh, if you go on Twitter or on my Facebook page or the Facebook fan page, you, you can find out all about that and get links and see what's going on. Okay. Yeah. We'll definitely uh, link to that when we uh, release everything. Okay. Great. Okay. Well, again, we appreciate you uh, coming on. Uh, we appreciate everyone for listening. We'd really appreciate it if everyone would give us a rating review on iTunes. And with that, we thank you for listening to Dads from the Crypt. <laughs> Follow Dads from the Crypt on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or I will follow you to the grave. (laughs) No, seriously, you really should watch, but be careful what you ask for. You may get it. (laughs) 